Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A glorious Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word in which you have revealed uh, to us, written by man as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that as we receive the word of God, as it has been passed down to us and given to us, that we have accepted it not as merely the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. We pray, Lord, that we would seek to be able to understand this glorious truth, that it is not a man speaking to us, but it is God speaking to us through man. Lord, and we give you thanks and praise that this word is active and living within us, that it is still at work in your people. And we pray that it would continue to do that work within us this very evening. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jonah chapter 1. This is God's holy and errant infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amati, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarship from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, and uh, into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there came was a mighty tempest upon the sea. So the ship threatened to break up, and the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And I laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will, your, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that there is this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, 
And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We find ourselves tonight looking at this one verse in verse 17 in the story of Jonah. This verse is interesting on many different levels. It is what makes the story of Jonah known to us. All of us might be taken back to those coloring sheets we were given in our younger days. However, as often it is the case with those coloring sheets, it might not all seem as it is drawn in those black and white pictures. Moments before, Jonah had told the sailors to throw him into the water in this raging, tempestuous sea. This is Jonah's demands of judgment upon himself for these rebellious acts. And Jonah is thrown over the edge of the ship. He hits the water, the the storm, that storm, the waves which were rising up for threatening to break the ship, now begin to grow still. As the ship sails and moves away from Jonah, Jonah sits there treading water. There's no note of what is going through Jonah's mind at this point. Does he have remorse upon his heart for rebellion against God? Does he have relief upon his mind for now that he does not have to go to Nineveh? Does he have regret? For not speaking up sooner to the sailors and crying out to God, the maker of heaven and the sea and the dry land. Does he have rejoice on his lips because now he will finally see God punish someone who has rebelled against his command as he so longingly wants to be able to see. We don't know what's going through Jonah's mind. The author of Jonah, and I believe it is Jonah, holds his cards close to his chest We really only find out some of his thoughts and some of his reasonings in chapter 4. Jonah, the silent running prophet, is bobbing up and down in the sea that was once raging, waiting for his life to end. This was a movie and, and there was a scene. It would continue until everything was just to go black. And then you would imagine that the credits might start to roll. But God is not finished with him yet. That 17 really continues the story. God is the one who hurled a great storm on the sea. God is the one who has caused it to stop. But now we find that God had appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now on this one verse, many scholars have tried to find the solution to this dilemma. Liberal scholars concluded that this is not merely possible. So they merely just try and explain the whole book of Jonah is away as some form of uh, parable, a story in a parable form, which is made up of some real prophet, which is found in the reign of Jeroboam II, who someone has just used his name to merely be able to create this false account. And I think really this standard response is really a lazy response. It ultimately comes from this low view of Scripture that does not understand that God is above all that he has created. 
But I think, also think it comes from those with a low view of reading and writing Scripture in those days, that they merely thought this was something that they could play with, make stories up. And they ultimately, those who come up with this idea, come with some form of elitist view because they're more educated. They're more real. But we need to understand that although this might seem like a difficult thing for us to under, uh, see in creation, we actually have science on our side. Often the other side says, well, you don't have science on your side. I think often they're mistaken in that. And it's often used as some form of weapon against the Bible, but in this case, it's quite clear. Come up with many assumptions that the world is the same as it was. And what I mean by that is sometimes when we look at stories of this age, we assume that the world is exactly how it is today as it once was, even 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Well, we know this is not the case. And science is something that we observe with our senses. Now, when the Hebrew says that he swallowed by a great fish, as the ESV translates it, it's not merely just speaking of a great fish. It more means a great creature of the sea. And there's certainly various possibilities of what this creature could be. It could be a sperm whale. It's large enough to be able to swallow a man. Actually, there's an account in 1891, speaks of a man by the name of James Bartley, who apparently survived two and a half days in the belly of a sperm whale. And some people would then say, well, that's true. That might be the case, but we don't see sperm whales in the Mediterranean Sea now. Well, I would say that argument is not valid. Again, you're coming back to that time. What did we see today? That does not mean that it has not changed. I think you would see that uh, the presence of larger ships coming in and out of a a dock, more fishing, would uh, drive whales away from that area. Another example of what this great sea creature might be is the great white shark. The Smith's Bible Dictionary tells of a story of a man being found covered in armor in the stomach of a great white shark whole. Another accounts of the great white shark eating a horse, again, whole. Rhydodon shark, it's 50 feet, is also known to be able to swallow a man. Some have suggested that even God had created one specific special creature just for this purpose. So I think the the caught up on what it could have been, again, we don't know. We need to be able to know a few points, three days and three nights. Now, this does not necessarily mean that it has to be 72 hours. In the Jewish counting of days, it's based on any period of time that falls on a particular hour. So even if Jonah was swallowed up an hour before sunset that would have been counted as a day because their day begins at sunset. This could mean that the number is smaller than 72. It's more like 49 to 50 hours. Now, one aspect of science that is difficult is based upon empirical senses. 
what we can do from what we can understand from our own senses. Now, in this case, it makes it quite difficult because we can see and know extinct animals on land a lot easier. We can find their fossils and find information about them. However, when you're talking about sea creatures, that becomes quite a more difficult task. Now, I believe it could have just been one of the cases mentioned before. However, we're coming to it assuming that we know all types of animals, especially sea creatures. But in the reality of things, we have only merely explored just a pin drop in the whole ocean. And it's quite possible either there's an animal that exists deeper than we see, or an animal that is extinct that could fit this description. In all of this, we have a huge problem, and that is like pulling a string on a sweater that, that if we unravel this and say that verse 17 is a problem, then we have a huge problem with all of Scripture. Because what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 12? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So you see how this thread sweating, uh, this pulling this thread of a sweater has drastic effects on how we understand what Christ says and what Christ thought had happened to Jonah. Now one other t- interpretation have some have suggested, again I'm not convinced about, is that Jonah died here and he was resurrected after um, he was in the fish. Now, I don't believe this, based on Jonah chapter 2, which we'll look at in more detail in the next couple of weeks. But two verses that I think show that it's not the case. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. How do you cry when you're dead? And the second is found in Luke chapter 11, verse 30. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. They, they need to then explain that the sign of Jonah is not the belly of a sea creature, but death. Then he's resurrection. But then Nineveh was not dead. What they did was repent. They turned like Jonah did. Now, I think it's a possibility, but I prefer to read the Bible and and merely read it without doing some form of gymnastics. So when I read verse 17, and I read that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three three days and three nights, that is what I intend to read it as. In all of this, we can get caught up in something the author merely gives us, merely somewhat as a passing comment. The great sea creature is mentioned a few times in the whole book of Jonah. We heard actually more about the great storm than we do about this great creature. One commentator who quotes Campbell Morgan said, Men who have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. Or A.W. Tozer puts it this way, If God said to Jonah was swallowed by a whale, then the whale swallowed Jonah. And we do not need a scientist to measure the gullet of a whale. And the focus then 
shifts if we focus merely on the creature, we fail to see the creator in all of this. Or more specifically in this verse, the appointer. That whatever that great creature is, is sent for a purpose. Now we could spend a whole time thinking about the hand of God in all the things that needed to take place for this great creature to be there at the exact point where he swallows Jonah. But let's focus on God from another perspective. We see first God's power. In all of this, this whole chapter 1, this has been clearly evident. God's power over all creation. Not just over the sea, but also the sea creatures. That as we read through chapter 1, we should be standing in awe to be able to see how great and powerful God is. It is God who hurled the great wind upon the sea. It's so powerful the ship threatened to break up and it continues to escalate and rise as it continues, as Jonah continues in his rebellion. That as we read through chapter 1, we should stand in awe of God. Or as the psalmist says, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all depths. Or Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all depths. It shows of God's power and his might. God shows his power to Pharaoh through plagues. But he also shows his power to his people. From that smoke that was on the Mount Sinai before they were about to receive the Ten Commandments, they see God's power over the heights of the mountain. The, the creatures, the plagues. And now in Jonah chapter 1, we see it in the sea and even its creatures. All of this is for God's own glory. Though we might be able to read about and hear about the story of Jonah, this rebellious prophet, but also this powerful God who pursues this rebellious prophet. The second thing that we see is God's purposes. Or you might even say God's providence. God is the one who sent this great sea creature and to send it for a certain task. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Here, I think, we divert from those coloring books and pages and even the story. I don't know how much about I don't know much about fish, but I do know something about fish, and that is fish guts absolutely have a horrific smell to them. Maybe every coloring page of Jonah needs a scratch and sniff section where you can smell that abhorrent smell of rotten fish. To be able to truly get the sense of what this was that happened to Jonah. Here we see this great deal of grace and mercy shown towards Jonah. But on the other hand, we must also understand that in this grace and mercy, this is not a pleasant thing for Jonah. 
God does not send another ship to be able to pick him up. He does not send a great big cruise liner with all the trimmings to pick Jonah up. He does not teleport him back to Joppa. He does not then say, try again. The sailors pick him up and say, well, let's try again, Jonah. God sends this great big sea creature to Jonah to digest him, to hold him in his belly for three days and three nights, only then to vomit him, regurgitate him back onto the shore. Matthew Henry says, Jeremiah's out of the dungeon, Daniel's out of the den, and Jonah's out of the fish's belly. And we somehow assume that this is somewhat of a pleasant thing for Jonah. This great story about what God has done to save him, it is. But in this we also see that this is not pleasant. That sometimes that's how God deals and does for things for us. He shows us mercy and grace. But sometimes the means in which that carries us. It might not seem as comfortable. Actually, it might seem better that of this near-death experience of this raging storm. Or this uncomfortable, unpleasant situation to finally bring us to our knees. But notice only after chapter 17, uh, verse 17, does Jonah actually pray. Notice only after chapters, verse 17, that Jonah actually goes to Nineveh to do what the Lord commands him. Only after chapters 1 and 2 does Jonah actually do what God told him to do in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. That in all of this we see God's hand of providence in Jonah's life to be able to carry about his purposes through his means... And sometimes that is not the most comfortable and most direct way to go about it. But we also see not only God's power and his providence, but also God's pursuit. In all of this, Jonah has tried so hard to be able to flee from the presence of the Lord. But we see God's reach is longer than Jonah's assumed. We might then need to clarify this, assumed. He does say that God made the land and the sea. But as much as Jonah wanted his story to be over, and to end in verse 16, God's still bringing about what he has ordained to pass, come to pass. He is pursuing this rebellious prophet that he might be able to go to be able to speak to Nineveh, those wicked sinners in Nineveh. And as God sent Jonah to preach repentance, God sent a great creature to swallow Jonah, to bring him to repentance. We see God's mercy is not always asked for, but it is always a great blessing. We often, if we would be on our own accord, how often would we seek um, for God's mercy? We're not told why Jonah does not pray above the waters. Above on the ship's shore, on the shore or on the ship's uh, dock, 
or the deck. But he ends up praying below the water's surface. In all of this, we see God's pursuit of Jonah is ravenous. He is unrelenting that he might confront him. And eventually, as we see in chapter 4, even continue to challenge him in his views and his errors, his misunderstanding and misapplication of the theology that he has. We not only see God's power, his providence, his purposes, his pursuit, but we also see God's persistent patience. In all of these interesting sections of this passage, I might think that the strangest part is how this passage is used in the New Testament, specifically to speak of Christ's death and resurrection. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus answered the Pharisees as they asked him for a sign. And he said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Paul picks up on this and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he explains that Christ, as he's delivered of first importance, that Christ was dead and he was buried and he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Here, out of all the passages of scripture, we find in Jonah 1 verse 17, a specific reference which refers to Christ's descension into the grave and his resurrection from the dead. That here, Jonah, the reluctant, rebellious prophet, becomes somewhat of a type of Christ. Going into the depths of the sea for three days and three nights. Richard Phillips says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It speaks of death since there was great, was the length of time traditionally understood to confirm death. Here, in all of the Old Testament, we find the shadow of Christ's Three days and three nights in the tomb. Jonah, the man in history who goes deep into the deepest part of the world in the Bible, is the man who points forward to Christ going into the heart of the earth to die. Jonah is the one who deserved to drown there in the ocean as the water begins to cover him as a sign used often to speak of judgment, think of Pharaoh's army in the Dead Sea, the wicked sinners in the story of Noah, judgment coming upon him for their rebellious acts. And here Jonah deserves the wrath of God pulled out in full. He has the direct command from God and he goes the opposite direction. He rebels, he lies, he seeks to flee. He is called to be the mouthpiece of God, but remains silent and does not merely speak at all. Yet how come Jonah does not perish? The one deserving of death does not die. Because Jonah is a shadow of Christ. The Je- Jesus comes, and he goes into the heart of the earth. He goes into the depths of the grave. And he comes out victorious. 
James Buckner said the sign of Jonah is not the belly of the fish, but the rescue from death in the process of the fish swallowing and the vomiting. The miraculous sign is his deliverance from death, not his residence in the fish. It is the fact that he continues to live that is the great story of Jonah. The miracle is not that the great creature swallowed Jonah. The miracle is that Jonah came out on the other end. The great miracle of the Bible is not merely that Christ died. The great miracle of the Bible is that he rose again. And Paul says that there is no, if there is no resurrection, then we have no hope. Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That here we find in the strangest parts of the Old Testament, the image of Christ's death, but also Christ's resurrection, His victory, not just going into the belly of Sheol, into the grave for three days and three nights, but him coming out on the other side victorious. What a strange passage for us to consider, especially when we think not merely about Jonah and what happened to him, but about God in all of his power, in all of his perfect, perfect providences and purposes, in his pursuit, but also his persistent patience. We see in this one verse, the great, glorious, appointer of the great sea creature. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let's pray. O gracious and most glorious Father, we give you thanks and praise for passages like this in which we can dwell to be able to see the world in which you have created, but also, Lord, your hand at work, even in the strangest ways that it seems in our eyes. Lord, that Jonah, the one deserving of death, was shown your mercy and your steadfast love. And Jonah, the one that was deserving of death, did not die. For there was one to come who was to show the sign, the sign of Jonah, to, be go, to go into the depths of the grave three days and three nights, to conquer sin and Satan, to pay the price that we should have paid, to pay the price even that Jonah should have paid, death, but to come out the other side victorious. Lord, that three days and three nights. Lord, we pray that we would seek to be able to see your power, your providence, your pursuit, and your persistent patience in even passages like this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.